Well, once again, I'd like to uh, welcome all of you to uh, this first week in this series uh, called Engage, and I I look forward to helping all of us, including me, to really begin to reconsider what are the things that we engage with and are, as the video says, are they the best things? None of the things you saw on the screen are bad things, but are they the best things? is the question. And the reality is, is in 2014, (laughs) we have more things that can take our time and more things that we could be engaged with than at any other point in the history of the world, undoubtedly. And and one of the things, one of the premises that I want you just to, to really remember throughout this entire series where we're talking about engagement is that when you choose to engage with something, an activity, a pursuit, a hobby, a way to spend your time, at the very same time, you know what you're also choosing? Because we only have so much time, so much energy, so much uh, you know, ability to give our attention, when we choose to engage with something, we're also in choosing not to engage with something. When we choose to engage with certain things, we're also choosing to disengage with certain things because we can't do everything. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example of this that uh, I think some of us might uh, suffer from, if not all of us. A few months ago, the Boston Medical Center did a study of parents and their engagement with their children. And so what they did as far as for part of this study is that they went to uh, some restaurants in the Boston area and they secretly observed parents with their kids. All of a sudden, I'm feeling nervous. Like, uh, like what if they had been watching me? Probably not going to be so good. But here's what they found. 40 of the 55 caregivers or parents that they watched, 40 of the 55 were more engaged with their smartphones than with their kids. In fact, they categorized it as a neglect of the kids in contrast to an engagement with their phones. Um, In the case study, there was one example of a little three-year-old girl they, they guesstimated with her dad. And she got up in this restaurant, went across the entire room of the restaurant to go get more ketchup, came back, sat down, and as they observed this secretly, the dad had no clue because he was still head down doing something on his phone. Or another example they saw uh, was a boy with his mom, and she was so sort of immersed in her phone, engaged in her phone, that he went over to her and actually kind of took her chin and tried to push it up, which she had no idea why or what he was doing, and, and so how do you think she reacted to this? Uh, with anger and frustration. Why are you bothering me, right? And yet, the reality is, is that the engagement was with this thing that 90% of Americans now have than with each other. Have you ever been sitting in your living room and everyone is engaged in a different screen, (laughs) not engaged at all with each other. Um, The good news is this only happens in Boston. It doesn't happen around here. It's not something that that has infected Minnesota. 
or Minnesotans at all. I bet you've gone to the park and you've, you've seen a, a father or a mother, or maybe you are one of them, that push your kid with one hand and check the phone with the other. Or have you ever been out on a date and you've, you've seen two other people on a date and, and they're just, just the two of them, not even looking at each other, just checking phones, and, and then when they talk to each other, it's when they found something cool on the phone, right? <laughs> In fact, uh, I had heard about a, a boy, a three-year-old, and his uh, dad who were so used to being engaged with their technology and their handheld devices that when they were at the doctor's office, the, the doctor said that the boy had an ear infection Instead of asking his dad what an ear infection is, he asked Siri what an ear infection is, as the doctor commented about it later in his blog about what he observed. What do we engage with? Because when we engage in one thing, we also are making a choice not to engage with something else. Here's a question. Have you ever disengaged with God? Have you ever found yourself not engaging with the purposes, the will, the plan, or the priority of God? Maybe you can think back to a season of your life. Maybe that season was uh, your college years or your young adult years where everyone was engaging in other things than God. And maybe you didn't lose the faith, but you became disengaged from what you knew or how you knew you should have been engaged with God, with church, with the word, with God's priorities. Um, Or... One time that I see people disengage with God at times is when tragedy strikes or when challenges happen, that at times people react to times where they can't dot the I's and cross all the T's and they wonder what God's plan is, that in frustration and anger, they for a time, for a season, disengage from God. (laughs) Maybe your season of disengagement was the summer. Because, of course, we live in Minnesota, and we got to pack everything in in the few amount of weeks that we have to enjoy things. And let me tell you, the Bible does not say that you have to be in this room every single week. But it does remind us that it is never good to disengage from God totally, that we need to be continually in his word that we need to continually be thinking about his purposes and his plans, that our whole lives are sacrifices to him. So maybe summer is that season, or has been. Um, Maybe it's not disengaging from God altogether, but maybe we choose to disengage in the one area of life where we don't like what God has to say. (laughs) Um, Maybe in our dating years, it's it's, uh, how God's plan is for relationships and how they should work before marriage. Uh, Maybe it's in the area of our finances. Maybe it's in the area of time management. But but maybe you've just chosen to disengage from God in, in one area of life. The truth is that I don't care who you are. We all struggle with this. In fact, um, if you take out your, your colored insert um, in the service folder, this is uh, your, your first fill-in for the day. At times, we all choose to disengage from God, from his purposes, 
from his plans, from his priorities, from his word. So I, I really think this, this series is, is good for every one of us because this is true. This is a temptation for every one of us. And so as we get going today, we're going to peek into the life of a man who lived about 800 years before Jesus. And as we peek into the life of a man named Noah, what we're going to see is how important it is to be engaged with God. We're going to learn some very important things about engagement with God. Now, when it comes to Jonah, when you hear that name, what's the first thing you think of? Whale or big fish, exactly. Now, I want to tell you that um, depending on how new you are to the Bible, that we firmly believe that this fish story happened, that it's true, that it's real, that God can do miracles, and that Jonah really got swallowed by a fish. In fact, Jesus himself in the Gospels, he acknowledges that this event happened. And yet, this event that takes one verse of Jonah's uh, letter isn't even the biggest part of the letter. And today what we're going to do is look at the verses leading up to the fish event as we consider um, engagement with God. And, and so let's turn to Jonah chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And here's what God said. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So for Jonah, one of the ways he was to engage in God's plan and will was very specific. God's calling was, I want you, Jonah, to go to Nineveh and preach, preach my word. I, I want to tell you that this wasn't a very easy calling. Nineveh was a, a place, it was a capital of a country called Assyria, and Assyrians had no use for the true God. In fact, they, they persecuted Jewish believers. Not only on a religious side of things, but the, the Assyrians and the Ninevites, they, they also politically were arch enemies of Israel. In fact, they would later conquer Israel and the Jews. And if there was one thing that Assyrians were known for at this time... One of those things would be their violence, and in fact, they, you know, we're all known for something. They were better than anyone else, look this up on Wikipedia, they were better than anyone else at being able to kill people by skinning them alive. Now, this doesn't sound so great, does it? Jonah didn't think so either, so he's standing here, listening to God's calling, and now it's multiple choice. Do I engage or do I disengage? What would you do? Well, here's what Jonah did, verse 3. Jonah ran away from the Lord. He disengaged from the Lord, and then he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish, to flee from the Lord. Now, let's be honest that Jonah would not engage with God's plan. I mean, it's understandable. I was called once not by a voice from God, but by God's people to come and preach the word in Lakeville. 
That was a little easier than Nineveh. But not only did Jonah disengage and run away, we see the depths of his disengagement by what Jonah did at the end of verse 3. He didn't go to Nineveh, but he didn't stay put either. He fled to Tarshish. Now, for you to understand what that meant or means, I have a little map here for you. I think last night it got stuck here, Jason. So if you go to the arrow on the bottom there, perfect. Jonah was near Joppa. Nineveh was 500 miles to the east. Tarshish, 2,000 miles to the west. Jonah just did not engage with God. He wanted to flee, run away, get away as far as he could from God's plan. And so this made a lot of sense. Let's not only rebuke God and run away from him, but let's do the most dangerous thing we could possibly do, which at that time was get on a boat and sail 2,000 miles to what Tarshish was considered at that time to be basically the edge of the earth. You know what? You know what that would be like? That's like you rebuking God or me rebuking God and deciding to walk on I-35 during rush hour. It's like rebuking God and saying, all right, I'm going to go parachute out of a plane or I'm going to go camping in the hills of Afghanistan. When we disengage from God so often, we do the dumbest things. Because we're not thinking, we're following the crowd, we just try to get rid of God, we, we feel guilty around him, so let's get, let's get away from him as far as we can. But here, here's a truth, our next fill-in. When we disengage from God, <laughs> it's never better. It's not. I want you to think back, maybe you've already done this in our intro, Think to a time where you disengaged from God, whether totally or maybe in a certain area of your life. Let me ask a rhetorical question. You don't need to tell me. Just tell yourself. Was it better? And if you say yes initially, <laughs> was it better ultimately? When, when we disengage from God's plan, God's priorities, God's purposes... It might give us an initial feeling of happiness, initial feeling of pleasure. But I will tell you, it will never be better in the long run. At the very least, you know what? There is this feeling of emptiness. When you or I have chased all of life's things to the detriment of God's plan, and we find it still doesn't fill the hole in our hearts, it's never better when we disengage from God's plan and God's purposes. Well, how did, how did things turn out for Jonah as he disengaged? Was it better for him? Verse 4, we're going to go through the, the next number of verses here kind of quickly. The Lord then, as he's sailing 2,000 miles, sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. So he was in a ship of unbelieving um, people, unbelieving in the true God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and, and fell into a deep sleep. Jonah is still trying to flee. He doesn't want to think about things. He just wants to sleep. 
The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we won't perish. Verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots. This was a way that they would make decisions in Bible times, kind of like uh, throwing dice or, or picking straws. And yet many times God was involved in the casting of lots. So let's cast lots to find out who's responsible. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, Who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? Verse 9. He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea that's now in uproar and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it'll become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew even wilder than before, verse 14. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man if he is innocent. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him in the sea. And the raging Mediterranean Sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And in fact, through this, it seems as if they may have even come to faith. They offered a sacrifice to the true God, to the Lord, and made vows to him. Now, you read what happened to Jonah when it comes to his disengagement with God, and some of us come away from it, and we might just see or purely see an angry God. God gets mad when we disengage with him and he sends troubled waters, troubled seas to punish us. But if that's what you see in these verses we just read, you miss the main point. Because you know what would have been the most unloving thing for, Jesus to, for God to do when Jonah fled to Tarshish? The most unloving thing he could have done and said, fine, go to Tarshish, see you later. The most unloving thing God could have done is when Jonah disengaged from him, that God would have disengaged from Jonah. But do you see? You see what God's doing here? He sends a storm into Jonah's life. Yes, in part, it was, to, it was definitely to wake him up, but not purely, not even primarily as a punishment. It was an opportunity for him to see that God was with him and God wanted Jonah to be engaged with him. In fact, through this storm and what happens next, we see our next fill-in we see that God is patient when we disengage. Does his patience ever run out? It could. We could disengage so far and rebuke him so much that we, we fall out of faith. But 
That is not God's will. And he is so patient with us. And he also forgives us. You see, we disengage by running from God. But you know what you can't do, my friends? This is great news. You can't outrun God. He's still there showing patience that is way more than what we deserve. Way more than what a holy God should give to us. And he is there today if we've been running, if we've been disengaged, in a call of repentance that I am still here. I forgive you. Re-engage in that area of life, in that priority of life. And then the next verse is the verse you know the best, verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Um, <laughs> when I was a kid, I think it's probably had somewhat to do with like flannel graphs and stuff, but it also had to do with uh, Pinocchio. Um, you know, I thought of Jonah in the, uh, the big fish, and you know, you think about, oh, that must have been too bad. He's got a, you know, Pinocchio had a little fire there. He was hanging out in the belly of a fish. But I, I need to, to tell you that this wasn't a cartoon, that being in the belly of this big fish would have been horrible, that there's like these acids in stomachs that break down food, that the smells and, and, and the, the sights which he really probably couldn't see much at all because he was in the belly of a fish and the seclusion and the fear and the wonderment of what's going to happen to him. This, this was not Pinocchio, my friends. This, this was a horrible three days. But do you notice how the verse begins? It doesn't start, the Lord sent a great fish onto Jonah. The word there in the Hebrew is translated provide. There's a difference between sent and provide. This was a blessing. Because in that storm and in these three days in a fish, for a disengaged Jonah. We see Jonah's salvation. We see Jonah through the fish being saved from the storm. That sometimes God uses pain to save us. In fact, isn't that the cross? And you look at a cross, and the first thing you should think of if, if you lived 2,000 years ago or would have thought of is pain. A place of, of pain and torture. And the cross was a place of pain and torture. But not for us. Not for you. For God's son, Jesus. And so we look at this symbol of pain, much like Jonah experienced the pain of the fish, and, and it's a symbol of pain that means salvation for us, means forgiveness for disengaged people who disengage from God. 
and his will and his purposes, there is, is great hope in the cross. Now, as we've gone through how sometimes God responds in times of disengagement and, and his patience and love for us, I hope that today is in some ways a Mediterranean sea experience for you. Because I know there's an area where either you are disengaged or you're tempted to disengage from God. And maybe Jonah's story, Jonah's account, is a call for me and for you to re-engage with purpose or re-engage with priority or re-engage with God's plan. In fact, Jonah had a very specific calling. And for the rest of this series, there's a very specific calling that we want to remind you of to re-engage with. It's not the calling to Nineveh. It's the calling that God has for you to your church, to Bethlehem. And guess what? At Bethlehem, we don't skin people alive, so that's good too, huh? A little easier than Nineveh. What's that, what's that calling that God has given you, or is this just Ben and Matt's little thing that they came up? No. Look at what Paul writes to Timothy in, in, first, in Ephesians 4. It was uh, God who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. This is actually not to Timothy. It was to the, the church in Ephesus. And Paul starts with all of these different categories of church workers. And then he continues. He gave them so that they do all the work of the church and serve the people so they don't have to get engaged. In fact, it's the exact opposite. That our job, and, and frankly, I don't do this well enough. I think I, I do too much of the work of the church, where, and that's my bad, my fault. But my primary job I should be looking at every week and every day is how do I help others, prepare others for works of service? So that what? So that there's a good thing that happens. <laughs> that the body of Christ here, the body of Christ around the world is built up and grows, and if those verses we would have continued on the screen, it talks about as you get engaged, you become, we become more mature. As I said before, my heart smiles bigger than my mouth can when I look and see over 60 people engaged in such a vital area as education here at Bethlehem. And that's just one area of ministry. There are lots of other people engaged in lots of other ways that we could be here all day to describe all of them. But at the very same time, we, like many other churches, have lots of people who are not engaged at all, that have been content to come and to sit in rows on Sunday. And maybe today, specific calling from God through Jonah, is to re-engage in one way or another. 
with the church, with the body of Christ that you are a part of. Now, I'm going to warn you that you're going to feel the temptation to right away think or say in your heart, but I don't have time, or I don't have the ability to focus there, and maybe we need to go back to parents and cell phones. You're right. You may not right now. But you see, we choose what to engage with, and when we choose to engage with something, we can't engage with other things. And so maybe God is calling you to disengage with some other things so that you can re-engage with his mission and his purposes and his plan. And we do this, why? Out of love for a God who saved us in our disengagement and all the time. But at the very same time as Paul references here, there's this amazing thing that happens, and this is what we're going to close with, our last villain. That God, in his grace, has already saved us, and then when we engage, he actually blesses us through it. Some of the most fulfilling examples of this church that I have heard have come through people serving and being engaged. Um, let me, let me uh, sort of uh, share what happens through uh, an ending little account from, from my life. Um, when I was in high school, um, my family, uh, my mom and dad, they wanted to take the family to um, the musical Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I had never seen this before, I had no idea what it was about. And as a, you know, sophomore in high school, I responded like most sophomores in high school w would uh, when my mom asked me to go, like, why? That sounds boring. I'm not going to go. And I wasn't going to go. And then something inside of me just said, all right, um, I love my mom. I'm feeling nice today. I'm going to go for her. I got there, and how many of you have seen Joseph? How many? Okay. Not less than I thought. Well, um, I thought it was going to be like Sunday school, which nothing against Sunday school, but again, I'm a sophomore in high school, right? And it was nothing like that. And I would not tell my parents. In fact, I made a point not to smile at all but I'm going to tell you today, don't let my parents know, I liked it. In fact, when Pharaoh is, is singing in an Elvis voice, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you know, I'm, I'm almost ready to kind of move a little bit, and, and I want to smile, but I can't let my mom see. And the reality is, I did it for her, but guess who got more out of it? She didn't need me to go. She knew it would be a blessing and I got more out of it. You know, I don't want you to come away from this call to engagement and think, you know what? God needs me. God needs you about as much as my mom needed me to go to Joseph. God doesn't need us. He can do anything. He's the God of the universe. He can fulfill his plans without us. But he not only saves us, he wants something for us. He wants blessing for us. He knows that it will be a blessing to you. He knows you're going to love Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. He knows there is great blessing 
as we engage with the purposes he has for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I've uh, wandered, I've run. I'm a person who's tempted to disengage a lot, and, and we probably, I'm sure, have a room filled with people like that, Lord, and we ask you for your forgiveness and grace, and we thank you for being patient with Jonah. We thank you for being patient and forgiving with us. Lord, inspire us through your word to be re-engaged with the purposes you have for us outside of this place and specifically in this place, and ask you to not only bless us, but to bless the work we do in your name. We pray this in, in Jesus' name and also pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.